The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. I have every intention to be extremely transparent with you. Uh, So for the past almost three years, I was serving as the kind of resourcing student ministry in Georgia with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, and unexpectedly, God approached me in the end of April with my home church asking me to consider being their lead pastor. And you know how this goes. You kind of start carrying this weight around for a while. And you begin to say like, God, are you sure? Like what, what are you doing? And I don't know if you've, if you've, um, if you've been through this before in your life or in your ministry, kind of this transition moments, right? Um, and you start to question God. You really do. You start to question yourself. Um, your, que- your family starts to really question some things because I'll be honest with you. I was really, really happy and pretty secure. Uh, very happy and very secure, I would say. And for some reason, God just kind of had me continue to carry this weight. And this weight of opportunity, this weight of transition, it caused me to question a lot of things. Like I began to question God's timing. I began to question God's faithfulness. I began to question God's plan because I thought I had a plan. And all of a sudden, the more I began to pursue him and the more I began to pray and kind of seek wisdom from others, um, it began to become clear like, yeah, I was supposed to do this. Like this, this, Change wasn't a test to affirm that I was where I was supposed to be. This moment of opportunity became like a revealing of God's plan for what next was going to look like. And so as I carried this weight for three months or so, then finally God kind of gave me a place of peace and trust and rest to take a step and to put the weight down. And then, this is what's awesome, is that weight that I carried now became a moment for me. That weight that I carried of wrestling with myself and wrestling with God and wrestling with my family and wrestling with my future and even wrestling with the reality that I may have to take a step moving from a place of security into a place of conflict. Now this weight became a marker. Now this was a moment in my life and and as I walked out on the stage, I I told you I was gonna be transparent with you today because I think it's important that we own some reality. Because if you're honest with yourself, You've had moments like this too. Perhaps it was a moment of uh, 
transitioning a job. Maybe it was a moment where you really had to kind of take a huge step of faith or you had to wrestle with identity or you had to whatever fill in the blank may be. But it's in these moments, if we're really being honest, we doubt whether or not God's really faithful. It's easy for us to preach the faithfulness of God. But when it's your family, when it's your finances, when it's your household, when it's your security, when it's your future, it's easy to be like, okay, God, are you sure? And I hope for the next few moments um, we can look and maybe look hard in and of ourselves. But ultimately, I don't want us to look internally too long because my desire is that when we get on the flip side of this conversation tonight, our attention will not be on ourselves, but ultimately it will be on him. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Joshua chapter 4, because I believe that scripture gives us a glimpse, an insight, if you would, into uh, what this looks like. Before we read Joshua 4, verses 1 through 8, let me kind of set the stage. Um, And this is one of those moments where I see the beauty of God's sovereign plan and the work of the Holy Spirit, because I had no idea what was going to be said last night. And I told Rob a couple weeks ago what I want to talk about today, and it just fits perfectly. Because see, here's Here's where this fits into the story. The Israelites had been held captive in Egypt for over 400 years, and God had uh, raised up Moses and chosen him to be the leader, to lead his people out of exile. And we know the story that the Israelites had traveled through the wilderness, and they'd wandered, and they complained for 40 years. And uh, we, we were reminded last night of kind of Moses in that moment of arrogance, disobedience, questioning he, he kind of committed that act that prevented him from being able to go into the promised land at that time. And I think it is important to us to see that amount of transfiguration where he finally got there. But here we see God exercise discipline. And now Joshua has assumed the mantle of leadership. Joshua is now the one who's leading them through the promised land. And so it's early on in that journey that we come to Joshua chapter 4. And let's read verses 1 through 8. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel that this may be assigned to you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. 
And they carried them over with him to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. So we need to understand this, is, this was a practice that was done often. In fact, if we read the Old Testament, uh, we see repeatedly these moments where stones would be used to kind of establish this marker, this memorial. Sometimes it was deliberately established and commanded by God here. Sometimes we read elsewhere, for example, of Jacob's dream, it, would, it was an altar that stood. But it was these moments that marked or defined where God had worked. And even, even literally, uh, the Hebrew word for uh, setting these stones down actually means to set up. It was, it was not just laying on the ground. They were intentionally propped or stood in a place that if someone walked by, they would know these are here for a reason. It would cause them to ask questions. Uh, this was a physical action that God established or commanded in order to honor their covenant with God. It was a visual reminder of God's supernatural act on their behalf. And, and I would say, uh, I think there are four things that I see here in this text that represents what these are. In fact, if you're taking notes, I invite you to write these things down. Here's the first thing, that, that these stones that stood as a reminder, first and foremost, we see in verse 6, they became a way to teach God's faithfulness. These stones were erected, established, and stood up as a tool to teach the next generation that God is faithful. Notice that we read here that the purpose of these stones were not to tell stories of the priests that stood in the water. The purpose of these stones were not to tell stories of the courageous men who picked these up. Not even to tell stories of Joshua, this incredible leader that God used. No, we read in verse 6 that the purpose of these stones was so that your children for generations would know and you could teach them of God's faithfulness through this object lesson. It's the second thing you could write it down, to remember God's faithfulness. We see this in verse 7. Yes, it's a teaching moment, but it's also a moment to remember how God has been faithful. And so this physical reminder is present so that we would never forget that God is a provider, God is a sustainer, God is a healer, God is a refuge, God is faithful. Notice, though, in verse 8, when he when we see them, that they're there to teach and they're there to remember, there was a faithful act of obedience on behalf of the people of Israel to do what God had commanded, Joshua had repeated, now the people did it. I don't think it's coincidental that the same thing is repeated three different times in these eight verses. So that there is a reminder, this was not just Joshua's good idea. This was not something the priest, all three times it repeats, it circles back to, this is an expectation, a standard that points us back to the faithfulness of God. And this act of obedience on your part is to remember who God is. That's an important connection for us to make. I think it's easy, though, when we read verse 8, we notice something. That they had to carry these stones with them all the way to their first place of encampment. Now think about it. This wasn't just like as soon as they crossed onto the other bank, they established them. They had so many people that had to cross. Now, 
there was a considerable distance that they had to carry these stones. I even, I even point back to the example that I just shared with you. It was not like when God brought this to me in April that I, okay, God, sure, I'm going to throw the rock down and make a marker here. Yeah, I see your work. I had to carry it for months. It was heavy. It was stressful. It was, anxiety was building deeply. It was exciting, yet at the same time, frightening. But all of these things were moments for me to reflect on who he is. Now, this is where I want to ultimately guide us today. When we look at our life, we see this clear example in Joshua of the people of Israel. We see a clearly spelled out purpose to teach, to remember, to obey, and to honor the faithfulness of God. But if we fast forward then to what Scripture tells us is in the New Testament, we learn that our lives are intended to be a living example and a reflection of the faithfulness of God. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 tells us this. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering the spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Why do I say this? I told you I was going to be transparent with you. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to open up my heart to you because I want to unpack some moments in my life that have been, if you would allow, if you would permit, somewhat of a stone, a marker, a defining moment in my life. And I'm going to tell you why this is important. Uh, I try to always make sure, can I, if I'm preparing a sermon, can I communicate it in one sentence? This is, this is my sermon today in one sentence. And then I want to come back and unpack it for you. The faithfulness of God in the past will give you peace in the present. I'll say it again. That's my whole sermon. The faithfulness of God in the past will give you peace in the present. So therefore, I need to remember some things. I may need to go back and review or be reminded of some markers in my life where God has shown himself faithful. I've got, I've got many of them. Can I just tell you a few? I think it's important that I tell you a few of these things because perhaps you can connect with some of them. And I've got to start with perhaps the most important, April the 12th, 1984. That was the moment, the marker, the defining moment in my life where God opened my heart to see my need for him. It was, in, it was in that moment that he revealed what my parents had shown me for years, what, what I had heard for years. I had heard the gospel. I understood it. But it was in that moment that the Spirit of God opened my heart to say, I want you to walk in relationship with me. And that was a marker. Because I'll be honest with you, if we went around the room, I know that many of you may have this story. There were many days after that moment where I doubted that marker. As I began to flesh out and work out my own salvation and understand it more and more because I was a kid. 
So there were many days I was like, is that, is that still good? Did I do it right? Uh, or, or was that, did I understand it fully? Because now I grasp the gospel more, so did I understand it enough then? And so you know that doubting game. And so there were many times I have to remind myself of this marker. And, and the beauty of it, when my wife and I were engaged, uh, I grew up in Fayetteville, South Atlanta. Or if you're from that, it's Fayetteville. A little bit different. South Atlanta. So uh, when my wife and I first, uh, we got engaged, we went to my home church for homecoming. Anybody's churches do homecoming anymore? Okay. Tell you a little bit about what kind of church I grew up in. Neither, neither. No, doesn't matter. That's another story. So after the service, you know how it is. You know, it's this reunion moment. You're reconnecting with people. And I told my wife, I said, I need to show you something. And I walked her down the hallway back into the nursery, into the room. Now, granted, this was years later. And sadly, the carpet was still the same. The furniture was still the same. That's, again, another story. See, that night... When I began my relationship with Jesus, my mom was working in the nursery. And so rather than coming down to the altar and respond like the pastor had invited, I just went to the nursery to my mom, and she kind of walked me through that moment. And I felt like it was important for my wife to see, like, I just need you to know it was right here in this room, sadly, at this same table, <laughs> that God opened my heart, and I began my relationship with him. Because that that's a defining moment that I can point back to and remember the faithfulness of God. That's a sweet story, isn't it? But they're not all that sweet. See, my, uh, my life, I, I began to, man, I love Jesus, and I began to kind of pursue him. And, but long story short, um, when I was 10 years old, my uncle was a truck driver and he exposed me to pornography for the first time when I was 10. By the way, statistics would tell you it's between 8 and 10 when most kids are exposed to it for the first time even still today. Fun fact. So that was me, 10 years old. And that became an addiction for me. It became an addiction that sadly he would feed it. Every time he'd come off of the road, he'd slip me a new video or a new magazine, or if he were gone out of town, he'd tell me in his room where he had hidden things so I can go find him and just feed this wild dog growing in me. And it became a wrecking ball in my life. And it grew and it infected, and it grew, and it infected. And it wasn't until I got to college that I had a friend who was the first person in my life, his name was David, who looked me in the eyes and said, hey, Ricky, have you been looking at anything you shouldn't look at? I said, that's none of your business. But it was the first time that I began to experience what accountability looked like and felt like. And it was his courage that kind of began to lead me down this pathway of freedom. But it was a pathway that didn't just end immediately. I had to still carry that weight into my marriage. 
And it was in my second year of marriage that I had to confess to my wife this addiction. That was painful. But here's what I can tell you. It was in those years with accountability and help that I was able to put down a mile marker of freedom. I'm not a slave to that anymore. Haven't been for years. But I carried it for a while. Why do I say that? Because Yes, that was my sin. That was my own doing. But I was able to experience freedom through the faithfulness of God over a gut-wrenching addiction. And it's important for me to say that because if statistics are true, there's a lot of you in this room that view porn. And I just need you to know, you don't have to carry that. You can be free. And God is faithful to provide a way of escape for you. I didn't say that. He did. He is faithful. It's a marker for me. I want it to be a marker for you. Uh, I've shown you a good one. I've shown you a painful one. But I've even seen God's faithfulness as he's provided for me. My wife was pregnant with my first child. Tennyson is now 15. God help me. 15. <laughs> We're doing that whole drive-in thing right now, by the way, and can y'all just come down and pray for me real quick? That'd be Oh, Lordy. So my wife is pregnant with Tennyson, and it's she was born in October. This happened in late August. Late August, Columbus, Georgia, in your third trimester, ladies. Can I get a witness? That's bad. And then our AC went out. So it went from bad to worse. Three months pregnant, very pregnant, heat of summer, in Georgia, no AC. Well, it, it just so happened that we, the day that it went out, we were going out of town the next day for a week on vacation. So that was good. And so while we're, while we're on vacation, to this day, I have no idea how this happened. Somebody found out about it and called my father-in-law and said, Hey, I heard Ricky's AC went out. I'm going to buy him a new one. And not, not just fixing the compressor. Like, whole new system inside and out. And if any of us have ever had to drop that change, that's a lot of cash. And so I come home thinking I've got to go stay with my in-laws and my father-in-law says, oh no, you got a whole new AC unit. I said, who was it? He said, I can't. they told me not to tell you who it was. And I stood there just amazed at how God had provided something that I, at that moment, youth pastor, first baby, butt broke. No way I could have fixed that one, right? And God provided. And so now that's like a marker. Why is that important? Because like now, in the last couple of weeks, we've experienced some things. We're like, man, how are we going to, you know, pay this bill or whatever? Like uh, AC unit, my marker. I'm not worried about it. God's, God's never failed us. 
He's always been faithful to provide what we need, so why are we going to worry about it? Now, I don't know about you. Maybe, I hope, I'm going to make an assumption that I feel is somewhat safe, that all of us can identify this, this marker, this stone of the faithfulness of God where he's rescued us and redeemed us from his wrath. Uh, I, I'm, I'm confident that all of us could point to markers in our life where God has shown his faithfulness to us and he's provided for us. And, and if you found yourself in those moments of addiction and, and wrecked by sin some that's self-induced, I, I pray that you can see a marker of freedom. I pray that you can. But if I honestly believe that the faithfulness of God in the past can give me peace in the present, I think it's important that we remember these moments. See, this is why it was important. Let's go back to Joshua. God commanded him to establish these things, to remember his faithfulness, to teach a future generations. And I find this fascinating. If, if you consult that little map in the back of your Bible that actually does, has some value, and you look at the journey where they cross the Jordan River, and they go to Jericho, and they move on through their journey. And then, and then, you look elsewhere in the Old Testament, later in the story when Elijah and Elisha are moving this trek to the Jordan. And they're moving through this journey together. If you follow the text and the pattern, it reads as though they're regressing and retracing these steps that the people of Israel talk through. And, and I, I can't say this with absolute authority, but the text reads to me that they most likely crossed the Jordan River at the same place that the Israelites crossed over. And here's, if I'm right, which the text certainly reads that way when I look at it, and they pass through Jericho and they get to the Jordan River. And you, I can imagine, I can just imagine Elijah walking through, the, through Elisha. And they're about to the river. And he says, hey, man, you see those stones right there? Do you remember what these are for? God is faithful. And I am about to leave you. But remember, God is faithful. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will always be there with you. And if I were to kind of categorize what some of these markers, some of these stones tend to look like in our life, I think there's three categories. I think the first one is a marker or a stone, whatever words you want to use, of transformational change. Uh, it's that moment where God opened our heart and I was wrecked by the gospel. That, that's a transformational marker for me. I think, I think another uh, marker is not just transformational change, but continual change. Through this process of sanctification and me being more and more conformed to the image of his son, these, these markers of maturity, these markers of trust, these markers of growth, maybe that was when I stepped into to ministry. Maybe this was when I uh, really began to defend my, my faith more accurately, when I became more confident in studying scripture, or I shared the gospel with somebody, and I led someone else to Christ for the first time, whatever, those, those markers of continual change. And there's a third one that I think is important. I call it a marker of cat catalytic change. If you don't know how to spell that word, Google it. It's, it's, to me, that's the idea of 
being an agent of change, a catalyst of change. This is where I look at examples in Scripture of Paul investing in, Tim- in Timothy with intentional kind of transfer of leadership, of discipleship, of, of raising up the next level of leadership. And that's, that's an intentional catalyst for movement. And those are mile markers. And I sure pray, if you've been in ministry long enough, if you hadn't, I hope you stick with it long enough, that you can look back and see like people that you've grown up through your ministry and now they're in ministry, and that's a marker. And those moments when you're ready to just absolutely quit and you're like, oh, I remember that kid. <laughs> There's a reason to stay in the fight. Some of those relationships even exist in this room, right, Drew? It's rewarding when you see JT, who grew up in your ministry, and there's a marker, brother, of the faithfulness of God. What if you'd quit, but you kept with it? There's a reason to trust the faithfulness of God. You may be in here tonight, and you're carrying a really big stone. God has begun to kind of work in your life. He's beginning to speak to you. Maybe he's opening a door. Maybe he's closing a door. Maybe he's testing you. Whatever that situation may be, it's unique to your individual circumstance. But maybe you find yourself in the weight of that moment right now, and you're beginning to question, God, what are you doing? I need you just, I want to obey you. I just need you to make it clear to me. And you find yourself in that weight. There comes a moment you got to put that stone down and take a step of trust. There comes a moment when you say, God, I, I've prayed, I've sought wisdom, I've sought counsel. i got to trust your faithfulness here, and I'm just going to take a step of faith. Let me ask you a question, and this isn't a trick question. How do you know when you've made a right decision? After you make it. You're never going to know until you say, God, I I see what you say in your word. I see your faithfulness in the past. I sense what you're telling me through your spirit to do right now. I'm committing and let's go. Understanding only comes after obedience. It's only after I obey. It's only after I trust. It's only after I look back and reflect on the faithfulness of God and have the courage to take a step into the unknown that I'm then able to understand what he was doing all the while. For me, as I stand in the present of my life, I can look back on the past and I can see one marker after another where God has been faithful. And so when I face whatever it is, the fear of the unknown, circumstances outside of my control, the pain of even my own doing, whatever it is, I can fix my eyes on a faithful God. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter or finisher of our faith. Or we could look at other reminders from Scripture that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it.
So here's what I want to do tonight. And this will conclude my time. Uh, I'm not going to try to fabricate any emotion. I, I simply want to extend to you an invitation to reflect on the faithfulness of God in your life. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read over you some scriptures that tell us of the faithfulness of God. And as I'm reading them, what I invite you to do is reflect. You may want to reflect just in your mind through a, a moment of prayer. You may want to go so far as to reflect by writing down, God, here's a moment where you've shown yourself faithful to me. It, again, it may be a moment of transformational change. It may be a moment of continual change through sanctification. It may be a moment of catalytic change where you can see an investment that you've poured into somebody that's stuck and it's an, now an encouragement to you. But the faithfulness of, the, of God in the past will give you peace in the present. Would you bow your heads with me? Before I read, I just want to, in this moment, I want to give you just a second to reflect and think. How has God proven himself faithful to you? Reflect on that. Write it down. Thank him for it. as I read. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Second Timothy 2:13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Psalm 33:4. For the word of the Lord is upright. All his work is done in faithfulness. Psalm 91.4 He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Second Thessalonians 3.3 3. The Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. First John 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. First Corinthians 10, 13. 
No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. So that you may be able to endure it. Father God, you are faithful. And the only way we will ever hope to be found faithful is if we look to you and trust in your faithfulness first. In Jesus' name.